0: Hey, okay, well, hello everyone. Welcome to the Oh hi. It's nice to meet you podcast. And today I am joined by my very good friend Robin Davidson. Um, so hi Robin. Hello. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm just so excited to, I'm always excited to chat with you and um and to learn from you, but I get to learn more about you today which in return will I'll learn something from you as well but um but yeah I guess I just wanted to start off by hearing about your childhood like let's just turn it back um <laughs> several years and uh, just hear more about your childhood like where you grew up and kind of what you remember from your childhood
1: yeah okay taking it back a few years taking it
0: back just a few <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if i ever I've ever told you much about um my childhood, but i I grew up in rural Alberta on a farm, and um I don't have a lot of like early childhood memories, but I just remember it being awesome mm. <laughs> like we were outside all the time mm. um we always had like pets, animals, my parents farmed, so it was very much like you know we'd be involved and we'd go out to the field and we'd you know even from when i was little um just being along for the for the ride um and yeah just lots and lots of time outside we would go camping like all summer mm. um we never took our camper very far but we would park it at the lake and we would stay there with my mom and then my dad would farm during the day he'd come for supper and then he'd go home and sleep at home and and farm all day and then he'd come for supper and wow. and i mean as kids we just got to grow up at the lake so um what kind of farming didn't... did they do they so they had um, a large cattle operation feedlot mm. and then they did um like crops as well so crops to feed their cattle during the winter but then also cash crop that they would sell and, um, a long, long time ago when I was really, really little, my parents did cow calf as well. So they had a herd of cows and then they would sell the calves, um, when they got big enough. But my dad decided to get out of that because it was lots of like overnight, right. And you had to be there during calving season. It was, mm-hmm. um, it was a lot. So, um, for most of it, it was beef cattle, big feed lot, and then, Crop, lots of crop and, and cash crops. So it was, uh, yeah, it's a big operation. (laughs) As we got older, we certainly got more involved with like some of the chores that we could do, but like little, little memories. I just remember like, Mm. yeah, being outside, being in the garden,
0: Mm.
1: uh, just, yeah, pretty (laughs) much being outside all the time.
0: Yeah. And how would you say, like, what do you think being outside so much benefited um because and correct me if i'm wrong but um you're very much like a city person now and in your adult years like more city more Uh, in the city life. And, um, you know, that's definitely how my kids are growing up right now, like Mm. more city life things. And so, yeah. Curious to know what you feel that like being outdoors so much, how that benefited you. Yeah.
1: I'm going to try to give you like a personal answer and not the answer that I like know from research. Mm, Yes. Um, <laughs> but I think like to for me to this day, and I don't know if this is for I know a lot of people experience this, but um, for me, like, if I am going through something that's like maybe challenging or emotional, like just just being outside for me now is like very helpful to mm-hmm. um just help me self-regulate and calm down, you know, like just going for a walk in nature. And I don't know if that's because um, I have such a strong connection to my childhood being outside, Mm -hmm. Um, but just that, that calming effect, right? Like you're just, it, there's something different about being outside, being unplugged away from the screen, you know, there's nothing artificial, fresh air, all of that stuff. And um Yeah, so that's, like, a huge benefit that's led into adulthood is, like, just, and knowing that, like, knowing that, okay, like, I'm getting a bit grumpy. Let's, like, go for a Mm. walk, (laughs) you know? Let's let's get outside. Let's let's, uh, just do something different. Um, But, yeah, I think it really, like, it fostered a love of, like, animals and being Mm. outside. Um, There was a big... There was a big sense of like independence in a way even though it was it was safe because we had so much mm-hmm. safe space to explore on our mm-hmm. own you know mm-hmm. when we were young because my my mom <laughs> from the from the window in the house even if she was inside she could see our, our whole yard which was like huge and so yeah. Yeah. we got to you know, climb trees and build forts and there was just the space to do all of that and um, certainly not get bored. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was times I'm sure we were, but um, they just kick us outside and say, figure it out.
0: Yeah. Use your imagination. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. And eventually, um, from what I remember in our previous convers- conversations, eventually, you guys would like to return back to some sort of just more space, open space type of living.
1: Absolutely. I mean, even we moved from Edmonton from a large center to like a, I don't even know what we're in. We're adjacent to a small town. <laughs> we're in a really small community. And even that has mm. been an amazing transition for us mm. and um although we don't have as much space as we would like to have mm. um it's just different it feels more like home to be honest mm. than Edmonton ever really did because we know all of our neighbors and mm. we like there is just more space to to walk and there's more green space close close by and uh just that it's just has that homey feel, you know where you like wave at people, I don't know if you know, but we wave to everyone as we're yeah. you know if we're walking or driving
0: um and uh just feels good to be part of like community, mm. yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, and i I definitely understand like the whole you know knowing all your neighbors like that's such a wonderful thing to have that sense of community and. Almost like a sense of like safety as well in that, like, you know, everyone that you're living around, because um, we definitely tr- try to make an effort to, like, get to know our neighbors, Um but yeah, just a lot of the time people just aren't as engaged or like not as willing and yeah, for whatever reason. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast was because there's just a wealth of knowledge from every single person that you meet or could meet. Um, And if we just took the time to say hi to our neighbor, um, you know, who knows what you could learn or connections that could be made. Right. So for sure. Yeah. So I love that. I love that you guys have that. And I hope, I hope that that continues and that you guys do get to have more, more and more space (laughs) for those little ones to run around. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, okay. So yeah, childhood, lots of time outside growing up on the lake sounds wonderful. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, when did you move away from the farm?
1: When I graduated high school, I okay. yeah, to basically be able to attend university and start that journey. So yeah, when I was 18.
0: Awesome. Um, and you went to Red Deer. Is that right?
1: I did. I went to Red Deer College for a couple of years and then uh, transferred to the U of A mm-hmm. <clears throat> to finish my degree there.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was your degree in?
1: Wow. I did my <laughs> bachelor of science in kinesiology, and then I took my master's of science in physical therapy.
0: Awesome, yeah, and finished that up at the U of A. Yes, okay. yeah, right, yeah. <clears throat> and then, did you did you think that you would always want to just stay in Edmonton, or was that always the plan to stay in Edmonton, or did you hope to return back to small town? living yeah no I
1: definitely always wanted to go back to a small town um mm-hmm. my parents for sure would um would have wanted me to come back to my my hometown that I grew up in um which they still talk about but um mm-hmm. yeah I definitely I knew I always wanted to be um even if it was like I don't know like somewhere outside of the city you know like a, mm-hmm. a smaller center or just a little bit more rural mm-hmm. i like having access to a big city it's very convenient yes. <laughs> um but uh yeah that was always the plan to definitely kind of go more rural um i th- i think growing up i thought it would probably would have already happened by now which mm. we all have goals like that right where it's like oh by the time i have kids i want to be set up but um, yeah, we still got lots of time to, to get
0: there. Yeah. And how did you decide? Well, how did you decide kinesiology and then how did you decide physio? Yeah.
1: So kind of a fun story, I guess, a very type a story when I was in high school, I think I was in grade 10 and there was like a job fair that came through and, Mm -hmm. um, it's like I have no idea what I want to do I know I want to be in a helping profession I want to be in a medical profession but I, I don't think I really want to be a doctor just in terms of the lifestyle and so I job shadowed a few different people so I just got contact information from this job fair and um set up like a couple different days where I could job shadow people and um at the time, it sounds really funny now, but I didn't even know what a physiotherapist was. <laughs> we, we didn't have one like in our super small town. And uh, so I actually traveled. I traveled an hour to our closest large center mm. um, to shadow a physiotherapist there who owned her own private practice. And uh, spending the day with her, I was like, done. Like,
0: mm.
1: I this is what I want to do. And then from there on, I just basically made decisions so that I could give myself the best chance of getting into physiotherapy school, which Mm
0: -hmm. I knew was
1: a really, really competitive master's program. Mm -hmm. And so I decided my undergrad based on what I felt would give me the most, I guess, foundation for um, needing to know what I would need to know in terms of anatomy and... um, yeah human kinetics and things and so that's why I chose my undergrad and I didn't have a backup plan really like I (laughs) like I I just just went for it and and I worked really really hard and um luckily I got into um the master's program (laughs) um and yeah kind of went from there so right from grade 10 I just just, because I think I think for me there's I get a lot of anxiety around unknown and like Mm. not like having a plan pretty much. Mm. I don't need to have like it all figured out or have to have it perfect, but I want to have a plan, you know, Mm. I don't want to just kind of leave things up, up in the air totally. So once I had a plan, I was like, okay, I can just Mm. work towards this and accomplish it. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And did your parents have any influence over that that decision-making like in terms of your career and schooling and stuff?
1: Not, not specifically. I don't think, I mean, I certainly think that, um, they helped me develop my decision-making process in general. Mm. Um, like they never uh, wanted
0: you to go back to the farm or like do that. No, no, they
1: never tried to influence like what I would end up doing. And my, my parents were actually very, um, like open and honest with both my brother and I that like we don't expect you to Mm. you know take over the farm unless that's something that you really want to do because my dad he took the farm over from my grandpa and my grandpa started it and um so my dad understood like that's something that he did full-time since he was 16 like he dropped out of school maybe even younger I feel like he dropped out in like grade nine uh, and was farming, like, full-time since then, and so, like, he just recognized, like, this is not something you can force on mm-hmm. someone, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that that life. it's something that, like, it, it's obviously a huge, <laughs> huge commitment and undertaking, and um, yeah, they never made us feel like, oh, you have to do this, right, you have to take over the family business, which um, my brother and I both appreciate, because it wasn't quite the right fit for us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's really great that there wasn't that pressure from their end and they were just supportive. Yeah. Yeah. With your decision. That's awesome. And would you say, like, did you ever consider the differences of being a physio in a suburban like city area versus in a rural area? Did you ever like think about that or did that ever yeah any thoughts about that
1: yeah definitely I think um one of the cool things about the program at the U of A I don't know about the different programs there's a few different master's programs across the country but at the U of A um, you have to do a certain number of placements like practical Mm -hmm. experience and um you have to do a rural placement Mm -hmm. <clears throat> which is cool. I don't know if with the occupational therapy did as well. Yeah. 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 I think part of it is like, they need more rural people. So they're like, go experience it. And yeah. like, some people might stay. Right. Um, but that was cool to be able to experience it before having to make a decision, you know, mm. one way or the other. Right. It's like, okay, I've done hospital, I've done private practice. I've done, you know, these different areas, gone out rural and the thing about being in a rural space, like there's advantages and disadvantages, obviously, but being rural, you're often one of a few or maybe the only one. And so you literally deal with everything like you, mm. you just have to do all of it, where when you're in a larger center, you typically specialize a bit more like, OK, like you're specifically for, you know, maybe this ward of the hospital or you are um, working with certain a certain population or a certain type of injury or that type of thing um and so being rural you get to just you have to treat everyone but then you also don't have the advantage in in a larger center where you can collaborate with other people right you can be like hey like you probably have a lot more colleagues that you could be like oh like I just want to chat with you real quick about this patient and like you know would you do anything differently or like just more more opportunity to learn from
0: from that larger team. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And have you done like any rural physio then? Like, have you gone back to that at all?
1: I would say I'm kind of, I'm, I'm rural now. Okay. Where I am. Um, I worked at a rural clinic as well in Devon, just Mm -hmm. outside of, um, Edmonton. Um, Yeah. So I would say I'm, I, I'm rural now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And how is that compared? Like what you just said or? Yeah. yeah, Pretty
1: similar. Um, I also find there is, there is a really different vibe. Like even if you look at like private practice clinics, so I find at a small town private practice clinic, everyone like even the patients are just more laid back I don't know it's just like like it's kind of that like hometown feel where you're just like you know people and no one's really seems to be in a rush and like there's no traffic you know Mm. like we're not like you know just trying to get in our car and get to work and then
0: mm. you
1: know trying to like fit in physio really quick like maybe on the way home or that type of thing it's like it's just everyone's like super calm
0: <laughs> most mm. of the time
1: where mm. I found um sometimes and it's not like always like this but in in the city it's a little bit more like you know appointments like this is an appointment I'm here for my appointment I'm not like I'm here for my appointment but also like Let's chat, or I'm going to bring you coffee, or you know, bring in some <clears throat> treats for the team, or this or that. So it's just yeah. a little bit more of that laid back feel, I think, in in a rural setting.
0: Yeah, has that helped you? You find like personally?
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Sounds I'm tough. I I'm not very good at like doing things rushed like quickly. Okay, and I even find like as I've learned more about myself like I I give myself extra time right there's lots of physios mm-hmm. who can like see people like 15 16 20 people a day and just kind of like keep things rolling and um I'm not one of those people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I um yeah I like to take the time to really like connect and I think that I think honestly like having that connection like that therapeutic relationship is so important in the actual like rehab for someone um Mm -hmm. and buy-in and trust and um so I think that that is an important part of of being a good therapist
0: absolutely and just even like from a self-care perspective like just taking the time to not rush yourself through everything and yeah just slowing down I think yeah actually Um, taking
1: a lunch break
0: mm -hmm.
1: I didn't for so long because it was just the norm in in private practice is just like just work through lunch because if you take a lunch it's just time you don't get paid for right so yeah I'm like "Mm -mm, not anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm taking a lunch
0: yeah Yeah. I'm taking my lunch (laughs) taking my time (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh that's lovely. um, just coming back to uh something you had mentioned when you were deciding on what to take in school, you had said that um you you know feel anxious in the unknown and you need to plan things out looking back or if you could go back, and you also had mentioned you just thought of one route and you just went for it, worked hard towards it. Looking back, would you change anything about that at all? No. Yeah.
1: No, I wouldn't.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think, like, I know when I was thinking about of what to take in school and stuff, it's like, okay, you got to have your plan A and plan B and plan C. And I actually don't hear very often people say like, no, I just knew this was it. And I just went for it. Um, yeah. Cause I myself haven't thought that way. And so yeah, I was just curious to know. I think that's really great. Yeah.
1: I think I had, I had the confidence because I um, I was a very strong student. And so I knew that if I worked hard enough, I could, I could get in, right? And so, I think it's important to like understand your own strengths and um, know that know when it might be really important to have different options mm-hmm. um, based on how realistic it is to pursue. Because the the year I applied for um, physio school, the um, the G, the the gpa to get in you needed a 4.0 like, which was higher I mean, than the gpa for I mean, med school
0: I mean, yeah like yeah. it's nuts
1: because it was so competitive right like there was a, just so many applications so um yeah i mean it, it, at some point it's just like if if that's your if that's your only option but you don't have a 4.0 it's not going to be in the cards right yeah
0: yeah so you're just very like realistic and but also like it just has to happen kinda, yeah kinda just gonna fun. make it happen yeah
1: and obviously if I wouldn't have got in I would have come up with a different plan right but mm-hmm. um I just just chose to not focus on plan b until I needed to if I needed to
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how do you feel about being in the unknown now like is there still anxiety oh yeah yeah
1: for sure <laughs> Yeah, I think that uh, I'm definitely still a planner and I like to have um, a plan around things. Again, like I wouldn't say things have to be perfect, but if it's like there's an issue that um, I'm dealing with, as long as I'm like, okay, I have a, I have at least an uh, approach on how to figure this out, then um, it doesn't... Um, affect me the same way as being like I have no idea what to do that that yeah. to me is like that out of control or like having the unknown is what probably gives me the most anxiety
0: Hmm. so speaking of the unknown if I yeah. may transition to you becoming a mother becoming a parent <laughs> that in itself is just a long time of being in the unknown yeah. um, or it can be um <laughs> Yeah. How was that transition for you?
1: It was, it was good. I mean, when we were, when we were pregnant with our first, when I was pregnant with my first, um, he was very planned. (laughs) Um, we very much were ready to start a family. I think we had Mm -hmm. been married for four years or something at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yes, he was very much, we were very excited to start um, a family. And uh, obviously, yeah, you don't know anything. I always say with, with parenting, it's like, it's all on the job training, because no matter how much you read, I mean, you, you might have an advantage if you read more, but <laughs> it's still all on the job training. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the biggest surprise for us when when we had our first was him having a diagnosis, um, which we had no idea about until he was born. Right. So that was like, um, I guess the biggest, just, it was just, it was just surprising. It was something that something else that we had to tackle on top of being new parents. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And do you mind sharing what his diagnosis was?
1: Yeah. So our son has oculocutaneous albinism, which is uh, a really long word for uh, just having no pigment in the skin, hair, and eyes. And so he was born with a full head of hair, but very, very white, as you know, Carmen. Yes,
0: most beautiful little, yeah. (laughs) you and Garrett
1: are godparents too. Yes. So you know all about him. Um, Very, very, yes, white, white, white hair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, pale skin, and um, well, I mean, when he was first born, um, my mom and and my husband were like, kind of like, what's going on? And I was just like, I'm going to sleep. Good night,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
1: So that initial moment, I was like, He's here. He's safe. All right.
0: Okay. Like, okay. You guys got
1: it. Yeah, good night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I didn't even really look at him until like a few hours later, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty obvious um, that there was something genetically special about him.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: um, and luckily, we had a, a pediatrician that was at the hospital who came pretty much right away. He was born at like 4 a.m. And she was there, I think, at nine, probably when her shift started. Um, and all the nurses and, like, I don't know how many people came in our room just to, like, take a peek at the, the boy with the white
0: hair. Um, so many people. <laughs> and, and the reason why it was so obvious is because Anthony, your husband, is Jamaican.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, that made it extra <laughs> for sure. Extra obvious. I remember yeah. the, the pediatrician was was talking to me as Anthony had went out to get us some breakfast. And she's like, so we're, we're thinking that your son might have a condition called albinism. And I'm like, okay, I've never heard of this. Like what's going
0: mm-hmm. on? Mm-hmm.
1: And um she's like, we're going to run some tests. And like, it's nothing to worry about, which is because of the color of his, of his hair and things like that. We're, we're just, uh, we want to look into it and do some tests and we'll follow up with you. And, and this kind of thing. And Anthony comes in the room and I said, Oh, you know, Dr. Janica, this is my husband, Anthony. And she looks him dead in the eye she's just straight at him. She's like, your son has albinism. And we're both like, Oh, and it's like, it kind of was like, She's like, I don't need the blood work anymore. Yeah, like, we'll still order it so that we know what type of uh albinism he has. But and that, like she's like, if your husband was like Norwegian, really, really fair features, like it could be maybe just a normal kind of anomaly. But she's like, no. <laughs> Makes it really clear. clear. Like, okay, let's yeah. figure out what this is.
0: Yeah. And so <laughs> how how was it? Um, cause I just love the way that you speak about him, you know, that he's genetically special and, (laughs) um, yeah, just so positive and like proud of him. And I just have always admired that strength from, from you guys. And so how was it navigating that, that unknown of what does this mean for us? What does this mean for him? you know, what is our life going to look like? Um, and being such a planner and being, you know, just wanting to know what's going on. How was it navigating all of that while staying, like while being a new mother and trying to keep this little baby alive and, you know, all of that.
1: Yeah. I mean part of it is I think it's it's easy to say so positive because like Jason is just a gem mm-hmm. like he's yeah. so he really is like a special boy um he's so awesome he's taught us so much um mm-hmm. and uh yeah like he's he's just great <laughs> there certainly was moments cuz we actually didn't get um his visual diagnosis for what he can like actually see until i want to say like 6 months ago so he was 4. Oh wow. And with albinism there is a really really wide range like you could have a mild well most people have like at least a moderate but you could have from mild uh, a mild visual impairment all the way to being legally blind. Mm. Um and so there's this huge range and like as an infant they obviously can't communicate with us like, oh, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, Having a second child now um who doesn't have a visual impairment, it, you can just tell the difference. <laughs> like it's just so obvious now. But mm-hmm. as a new parent, I I didn't have a clue like what was normal, what wasn't normal. Like I remember now like looking back, Jason didn't, um he wouldn't uh, like make eye contact for mm-hmm. like a really long time. I think he was mm-hmm. like, around one before he mm. could like actually make contact and like respond to um like facial cues like smiling and things like that or like if somebody was was in the room or something lots of lots and not like most um children who don't have a visual impairment will turn their head they'll like look at what's going on mm. and he just he didn't do that because he didn't he couldn't see that far right so mm-hmm. um yeah, just lots of things that have been different now comparing, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I, uh, there's been moments, really hard moments, especially, like, just not knowing, like, um, how it's going to affect his development, potentially, and, like, just moments when, when, you know, you feel like, you don't want him to be disadvantaged because of his vision, Mm -hmm. because we know how intelligent he is. We know Mm
0: -hmm. how
1: wonderful he is and we want him to have all of the opportunities. Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, But it's, it's just a moment. And then, you know, I usually lean into my husband and um, he reminds me how special uh, Mm -hmm. Jason is and, and um, how much that, you know, we're going to advocate for him. And Mm -hmm. so, he like he has a great team mm. and uh he just shows us every day like just the amazing things that he could do because so we did find out that he he is legally blind and he has a real like a quite a significant visual impairment um mm. but he's he's so functional because he doesn't know mm. any different right he was born mm. with um the visual impairment that he has, it doesn't get better or worse over time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so he's learned how to navigate his environment without, you know, much difficulty.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, that video I saw of him washing dishes and, like, <laughs> so, so incredible. Yeah. He does yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you feel like our medical system has been helpful throughout this journey?
1: I really do. Um, we've been
0: super blessed.
1: The same pediatrician I talked about in the hospital, she set us up with every possible referral. I think mm-hmm. some of them were just for peace of mind, but um honestly she was she was amazing. She mm-hmm. um it
0: was Dr. Janica at the Royal Alex. Is that it her? was, yeah. I'm pretty sure she filled in for our pediatrician at our girls' very first checkup, like Oh, height of the pandemic. Like, yeah. yeah. And she was lovely. And there are some things going on there that she responded to really quickly. So, yeah, she was fantastic.
1: Yeah. Just like we were so, so lucky. Uh, the biggest thing we needed was an ophthalmologist, um, mm-hmm. which we went through the stallery initially. Mm-hmm. And um, Jason's been seen by an ophthalmologist every like three to six months since he was mm-hmm. born. So that's been pretty Um, regular and that has been amazing just the care that he's received Um, but she like she sent him to a dermatologist um, just because you know part of his diagnosis involves his skin and um, yeah she was she was really good she she set us up with a geneticist and like there was just it was a lot of appointments I'm not gonna lie that first year Mm -hmm. was like just appointments alone was like all the regular appointments and the um, you know, the doctor's checkups and the vaccines and stuff. And then there's like all these extra appointments. Yeah. Um, and then we have like visual vision consultants and um, things through a, an organization called CNIB, mm-hmm. which is a I think Canadian national Institute for the blind. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Canada, the support for, that we've received for a child with a visual impairment has been excellent. Since he was born, he's had a vision consultant that Mm -hmm. has done home visits and has given us recommendations for things and the like the smallest thing to the biggest thing, like we got um, recommendations to be able to tint our windows in our vehicle. So there wasn't as much sunlight and we've gotten recommendations on like now that he's in school um, for different modifications that they do at the school to make sure transitions are are highlighted with like contrast and we Mm -hmm. walked through the playground and we we they just took our um not even ours but like as a team with the vision Mm -hmm. consultant they took all of our concerns and just like eliminated them just like reduced barriers made sure that there was nothing that he would potentially run into or not see and uh yeah and equipment and they they got like special film to cover the light so that they're not as fluorescent and we can you know see better Amazing. and yeah the support has been really 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 great and it's it's uh yeah we couldn't imagine like you know doing it in a different country where there wasn't right. the same amount of support
0: yeah and I know a lot of that too is uh, yours, Anthony's, you know, perseverance and um, just you advocating for Jason as well. And so, I mean, he's so lucky to have you both <laughs> as his parents. And yeah, thank you. Uh, wow. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. Is there something that you feel like um, either? you would want other people to know what it's like being a parent to a child that does have a disability, um, or something that you wish other parents with children with disabilities would know?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, but the main thing that comes to my mind is, um, just awareness around I think so so many things come back to conversations in the home right and like what we're talking about and what we're teaching our kids and I remember um reading about a study I don't know if you've heard of this one but like I, I think it was a while back it was probably a long time ago but they showed kids a bunch of pictures and they they tried to see how many pictures the kids could identify and I think only like two out of 100 kids knew what a wheelchair was, like could actually just mm. verbalize like, <clears throat> that's a wheelchair. Mm. And um, I think it comes back to that, like unknown, like if you're not exposed, if you never ever see a wheelchair, like, why would you know what that is?
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And mm-hmm. so as a society, I think we're getting a lot better of like having this, that type of stuff, like having everything exposed, you know, in books and that's where kids get a lot of their learning in their early development is like the, the characters and the people and things that they read about mm-hmm. um, in, in books and TV shows and things. And mm-hmm. um, just having that representation is like mm-hmm. so huge, but I think it comes back to as, as families, like, what are we talking about? And, and, uh and just having those conversations around like different is not bad. Right. Mm-hmm. and, um, one thing that we have noticed is, um naturally, as a family, we get a lot of second looks, I'll say, yeah. or glances, yeah, and um, it's always the kids, it's always the kids who will be like, We'll hear, make a comment, right, because mm-hmm. kids are innocent and they're like, oh that kid, that kid's hair is white, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what? like they just make a comment right and it's usually parents who will be like oh it's not polite to like don't just be quiet or like let's move on mm-hmm. but i think it's important to like explore that you know or like um i mean personally us as a family we don't mind being asked questions we don't mind like somebody approaching us and and Mm -hmm. um we really appreciate when people come up to us and be like your son is you know he's really beautiful like do you mind Mm -hmm. if I ask like I've never seen anyone with white hair you know and there's ways that you can ask that is Mm -hmm. definitely doesn't offend you know um and that we are more than happy to share and like Mm. educate and that we know he's unique and we want as many people in the world to know about albinism as we can and so we we love to be able to to do that but um it takes a lot of courage for somebody to actually do that right just to to approach a stranger and to ask instead Mm. of staring or instead of making comment or instead of you know just telling your kid to be quiet because it's it's awkward or embarrassing Mm -hmm. um but just to yeah like encourage that natural curiosity and and uh like just to have kids exposed to different is Mm -hmm. awesome you know Mm -hmm. being we're all different and some people are different in ways that you can see some people are different in ways that you can't see but to uh yeah, to have that like inclusion and, uh, for everyone to just feel welcome and to feel part of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And again, it's just like taking that time. And and like you said, having that courage to just say hi to the people that are around you. Yeah. Because um, who knows what you'll learn and you'll probably learn some. You'll get to know Jason. You'll get to know a Jason. Yeah. yeah. That's so special. Um, I was going to ask how you feel about the word disability, because that's definitely, you know, what is used and like what's taught in school and stuff is to say people with disabilities. And mm-hmm. there's this whole thing about, you know, person first language. It's not yeah, that someone has a disability, not that they yeah. are a disability. So what is your thought about the word disability itself? Because you use some really beautiful words like genetically special. And um, yeah, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah,
1: I think that um, I think that the person first language is extremely important. I think that for me is is like a non-negotiable and Mm -hmm. I will correct someone if they, you know, we've had people call him an albino and different Mm -hmm. things. And it's like, no, he's, he's a boy with albinism, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think that just goes to, you know, labeling people and like having it be part of their identity. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that that's the most important part. And then outside of that, like I do think disability is a very accepted word it's commonly used and I think that it's important if you have someone in your life who um you know has a disability or identifies that they have a disability it's important to ask them about it and have that conversation because I think for different people different language is maybe triggering Mm -hmm. um and depending on the experiences that they've had right Mm -hmm. and so for me to say that like I don't like the word disability well it doesn't really mean a whole lot other than I just, I don't like to put the emphasis on like the dis part, like the, the disadvantage. Right. Um, because yeah, I think that, um, everybody has special abilities and different abilities and I just like to focus on the, the positive parts.
0: For sure. Yeah. Yeah, So I guess it just kind of comes back to how they're saying it, like how, how they're using the word and yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how would you say like navigating being new parents and like all the appointments and just normal plus extra stress of, you know, becoming a parent, how would you say that changed your relationship with your parents, or how how you how you see them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um,
1: I mean, definitely since becoming a parent, it, you just appreciate your parents so much more. I think that's just how life is designed to be, I guess. <laughs> We don't appreciate it till we go through it and realize how much work it was. Yeah. Um, and then by that time, I think our parents forget how much work it was when kids were that small. <laughs> um, I'm like, stop
0: complaining.
1: It matter. They're like, they're fine. I'm like, oh, you had them for two hours. Like, I know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So definitely makes you, has made me appreciate and be more verbally like, and you're like, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More grateful for all the opportunities that they provide. And sometimes I'm like, mom, I don't know how, I don't know how you did it. Cause my mom, especially when we were little, when we were in those really early years, like she would have been single parenting. Like my dad was right. so busy, right? Mm-hmm. He was gone all the time and working all the mm-hmm. time with the farm. So um, she was, figuring all that out on her own (laughs) Mm -hmm. just just thinking about that and just uh yeah I guess like it's nice to have someone to to go to um for perspective too and and just be like hey like how is this normal or how do you handle this (laughs)
0: or those types of things yeah yeah so much love to The people that went before us just to help us get to where we are today. And hopefully we can just pass that on and our kids in the future will be just as grateful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When they have kids of their own. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When they're teenagers, hopefully they're grateful too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it'll come full circle at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I have been ending off my conversations, um, with, with people by asking them, uh, three, three words on how you think other people perceive you, and then three words on how you actually define yourself. So I was curious to know your thoughts and I didn't give you any heads up or <laughs> an advanced notice. Um, but yeah, I was curious to know what those words might be for you.
1: That's a great question. Three words that would it like strangers would think of me or people that I know well would would describe me as.
0: Either or. Let's either just or. let's <laughs> just say yeah, either or whatever, whatever comes to you. <laughs> um this is interesting I a few it would have been
1: like six months ago or so I was doing a course and part of the homework was asking some of my closest like you know friends and family like how they would describe me I asked you yeah now I'm trying to think of what people said about me (laughs) It was a really nice exercise actually to wow. do,
0: yeah.
1: Getting all these
0: nice yeah. compliments, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it was like my three strengths and my three weaknesses, or something like that. Um, I do remember that, um, most people describe me like a word for kind, which it like I just love so much because that's like outside of being a good parent, that's like my only goal in life. It's just mm. like. I just want to be a kind human, and uh yeah, that takes some work, but <laughs> i uh kind um would be one, and I know a lot of people describe me as calm, like mm-hmm. just generally pretty calm. You've probably never seen me yell, I can guarantee that no, no. <laughs> or guess,
0: like. Unless you're, like, having your dance parties in your kitchen, <laughs> yeah. that's the only time where I'll hear you raise your voice. <laughs> Sing it a little bit too loud, yeah. Uh, that's funny.
1: Yeah, so pretty calm. I remember my, uh, my supervisor one time, she's like, you're just so calm. And I'm like, that's all the feedback you have for me? She's like, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. I'm like,
0: okay. You're an all right physio. You're, you're, yeah. You're fairly organized, but you're really, really calm. She's like,
1: it's like you can just handle anything. I was like, uh, I don't know about that, but I look calm, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and describe me I've been described as a good communicator I don't know about today yes. but I have been yes. described as a good communicator
0: That uh, you are yes thank you <laughs> yes. I agree I agree to all those three words <laughs> yeah and then what are three words that you would that you would use to describe yourself
1: myself I would describe myself as introverted I definitely um I love conversations like this, like Mm -hmm. one-on-one do way better than, um, you know, large groups or or crowds. Um, So introverted, I would describe myself as kind as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the quality that I, that I like about myself. Um, And yeah, well, I don't want to use the same ones that I used. (laughs)
0: um it could be the same because maybe like you because it could just very well be that how people get to know you it's your genuine you yeah right and um I think I think sometimes there's a difference between how someone perceives us because they're not really taking the time to get to know us or we haven't got taken the time to actually expose ourselves as well and have others you know, let them in. Um, so it could very well be the same words because you've, you're just a genuine, real person. (laughs) I try to be
1: for sure. And I'll just take that word then I'll just take genuine because that's, that's what I want to be is just, yeah. yeah, Genuine, real.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) Well thank you so much for our conversation today Robin. We love you. We love your whole family. Just we and we miss you guys. Um so we can't wait till we chat again soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much Carmen.